This is the Ed Milet Show. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. I am really excited to talk to this man today because, you know, it's interesting. I was really a fan of his work. I think probably my favorite comedic television character of all time, seriously. And I, know oh. it's, I know it's my wife's for sure, is Dwight from The Office. I mean, like, the favorite character of my wife ever. And because of that, how much belly laughing I've done in my life because of this man, probably mine. And then I start digging into him and his work outside of acting to me, with all due respect, is a hundred times more compelling than his prolific acting career. And I mean it. I read his entire book in one sitting, and then I handed the book to my wife and said, you need to read this, and she read it in one setting. And I just think because his work affects me and the things that I'm, the stage of my life, what Rain's talking about is the most important to me. So my guest today is Rain Wilson. His book is called Soul Boom, right here, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution, and I couldn't agree more. So Rain, welcome to the show, brother. Ed, what a fantastic introduction. I gotta say that my favorite radio slash podcast host's wife is your wife. And I don't mean anything disrespectful. <laughs> and I'm also wondering if the one, the single sitting of the reading of my book happened on the toilet or not. It was not. It was actually on a chair on the beach. So not quite. Ooh. Although although I'm 52, so I had to use the toilet three or four times as I sat there sure. and read it. But I held it because the book was that good. So anyway. Um, I really, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for your kind words. Really excited to dig in. I mean it, man. Um, you know what? I want to go all over the place today, so we're going to get into it as quickly as we can. All right, something weird about me that I think is weird about you, but that more people should do. We're going deep in the beginning. I think about death a lot. And, right on. And I do because I find that it causes me to be more present and want to live fully in the moment because I know these moments, to some extent, in my body are fleeting. And my favorite people think about the end of their lives more than other people do. Whereas a lot of people sort of, I think they literally believe thinking everybody else is going to die except them. And mm. and it's a really profound thing. So you talk about that in terms of the context around the book. So I know you do as well, but just speak to that topic and why it matters and why maybe we should do it. I love that topic. It really <laughs> literally is my very favorite topic in the world. Mm. I want to, slight digression, I was visiting a friend in New York yesterday and they've gotten a little puppy and we were talking about death and I was like, well, the puppy, this puppy is going to die. Anytime you get a pet, it's a 10 to 15 year time bomb of grief for any family. Mm. And they all looked shocked and the wife looked shocked and the kids looked shocked and they obviously hadn't spoken to the kids about it. Now, I'm not suggesting you traumatize your children right, by right. talking about the death of the cute little puppy. But I do think culturally we do not speak about this topic, which is maybe the most important human topic of all time. It is something that you and me and every single listener right now has in common. We are all going to die. This is the only culture in human history that has refused to talk about death and shunned conversations about death. Death has been a part of the ongoing human conversation for a hundred thousand years. In fact, the earliest evidence of spirituality in humanity is is the earliest evidence of humanity, which are burial mounds, 100,000, 200,000 years old, where people are buried with implements they're going to need on their journey, on their continuation of their journey. Spears, 
you know, dead pets, a, a sled. Uh, it the, the list goes on and on. Weapons, jewelry, books. Uh, humans have always viewed death as a continuation of an ongoing journey. Um, and I think we need to dig into this conversation. And again, just how you framed it, we dig in a conversation of death to better frame the experience of being alive. It's interesting because it's almost like in our culture today, we're all like, we all know it's happening, but we're all kind of lying to each other. We're just acting as if it's never coming. Or I think also, denial. Yeah, denial. Or like maybe like I'll get around to that stuff later in my life. I think a lot of people think that too. Like right now, I'm going to kind of get my career going. I'm going to do the X, Y, and Z and then, you know, have a little bit of fun. And then and when I'm old, I'll get around to it. And I find that for me anyway, and by the way, welcome to your motivation week, guys. We're starting out with death, but... But I actually think it is incredibly motivational because it causes me to feel so blessed to be alive when I have the conversation. And for me, and I think for you, we have a lot in common uh, other than I'm not nearly as funny as you are and haven't had a career like you've had. But beyond that. I can't bench near as much as you can. <laughs> yeah. All right. I got one thing. I, I can outbench you. I tease. I tease. I tease. I, tease. I, I love that, actually. But I thought, I've always thought about this even since I was a little boy. But my dad died a couple years ago. And I ended up writing my book after my dad died. And I get the feeling that this has always been a part of a dialogue you've had, but that perhaps I think your dad passed away actually around the exact same time my father did. And I'm wondering if that sort of accelerated the conversation for you, if that experience shaped your belief systems differently when it happened. Ed, you're right on the money. Uh, My father passed away in July of 2020. And I had already begun work on the book, but that's when I knew that I wanted one of the central chapters to be about death and its spiritual and psychological implications because it profoundly affected me. My mom took off when I was about a year and a half old and I stayed with my dad. So my primary parental bond was with my dad and we certainly had our disagreements. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to be intimately bonded with someone who is incapable of expressing intimacy. (laughs) And that was a challenge. And that was for so many men of his generation, right? He was born in 1942 and, uh, you know, kind of World War II baby. And, um, but one of the most powerful transformative experiences I've ever had was seeing my father's body laid out on the table as we were preparing it for burial. And I tell some funny stories in the book about trying to find an appropriate bowl to hold water with which to wash and prepare my father's body for burial. But putting that aside, seeing my bodies, my father's body lying there, uh, I had a profound kind of mystical transformative experience, which was, this is not my father. This is the vessel that carried my father. And it was just profound. It hit me in the gut. It hit me in the brain. It hit me in the heart. And now I believed this beforehand. I I believe in God. I believe that we have souls. I believe that we are immortal, beautiful, mystical beings, children of the divine that are continuing our journey beyond this physical plane for all eternity. I've believed that and known that to be true for a long time, but it was so visceral when I witnessed this. And I didn't experience his death as like the snuffing out of a candle, like, oh, he's gone, it's dead. It was just very clear, like, oh, he's not here anymore. 
he's moved on. He's passed on this whole idea throughout the human experience. Like, oh, we move on. We pass on. We're moving through. He rode around for 79 years in this beautiful Robert Wilson meat suit. He had his flaws. He had his perfections. He had his beautiful warm heart and his sparkling personality. That's gone now, but it's it's not gone. It's gone, but not gone. It It is past. And this framed, again, this conversation about death, but so many spiritual conversations need to begin with death. I say at the beginning of the chapter, you know, let's to to begin any conversation like this. Let's start at the very end. Bro, I first off, there's a part of me. It's surreal that I'm having a conversation this deep, this quickly from Dwight. And now I'm realizing from the office, I'm realizing that it's you. But I have to say something to you. I hope everybody gets some comfort in these two middle-aged men who've had some accomplishments in their life sharing such a similar experience. My dad died about three months after your dad passed. And I have to tell you, brother, I was with my dad when he passed, my sisters and my mom and I. And after he passed away, um, they didn't – we had to wait for the – the paramedics to come take him to what would be the funeral home. And my sisters weren't comfortable spending time with him in that room. And I don't think my mom was either. And so I ended up having the blessing of about an hour with my dad's former body and I alone. And the blessing was, I can't even get over the fact that you just phrased it this way. I had this, I've always been a believer. I'm an energy guy, but I'm a follower of Jesus. And I know you grew up with a Baha'i faith. One thing I love about you is respect people of all faiths, as do I. I do. So I've always known, I've always had faith that there that this was true. But the most profound confirmation of the truth of the soul, I can't believe you worded it this way, was about a minute into being there with my dad's body, I went, oh, dad's not here anymore. Yeah. He's, he's not here anymore. And it was so incredibly powerful and beautiful and reaffirming for me. I, I really knew dad was gone. And and that let me know dad was not that meat suit that you just described. That was the greatest confirmation of that in my entire life. And so I just want to second what you've said, because it's incredible to me that we both had the same experience within a few months of each other. We both wrote books about the same time. And the other thing you say in the book, since you went there on spirituality, so I want you to talk about this, is you said, we need to reinvigorate the word spirituality. That's actually a direct quote from you. And I agree with that, too. You know, like real specific religious people are like, oh, spirituality, that's not doctrine. You know, that's not this or that. To me, spirituality can lead to whatever you're, if you want to choose a particularly religious religion practice, mine's Christianity, but whatever you, but the spiritual part of this because a soul is a spirit. So I have no idea why spirituality gets a bad word, you know, or why in some circles it's, you know, somehow a negative thing to believe in spirit or soul. So what do you mean when you say reinvigorate the word spirituality and why do we need to in our culture? Because I I think you get to something real deep here and it's really true. Right. Great question again. Um, You're good at this. Very, very good. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So for some people, spirituality means uh, ghosts and seances, Mm -hmm. right? And literally like spirits and Ouija boards. So that's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. For some people in Western culture, especially in the big cities, spirituality is a very vague concept that has to do with crystals and incense and yoga classes and um, inspirational quotes. And I'm not 
meaning to denigrate that. That is, that is a very important part of uh, spirituality itself, these ways that we get in touch with our own souls. Mm. But that's not exactly what I'm talking about. For some people, it means church on Sunday, and it means doctrine, and it means orthodoxy, and it means fundamentalism. That's also not what I'm talking about. I am talking about the quote from my favorite quote of all time from Father Pere, Pere Tehard de Chardin, who said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Mm -hmm. And that's what I witnessed with my father's corpse. Mm -hmm. He was a spiritual being having a human experience for 79 years in that body. And he's continuing his spiritual experience in whatever plane lies next that awaits him after this one. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the essentially divine nature that all of us have. That is our reality. Our reality is that we are divine beings. And we're having this visceral, tangible, three-dimensional consciousness-induced experience as a human being on planet Earth and until we're not anymore and we move on. So... This experience, which has to do with our divine qualities, right? The the spiritual virtues that we carry with us, kindness, love, humility, honesty, um, our, our connection to our higher power, our connection to nature, all of the aspects of the, the what I would call the higher nature of humanity, as opposed to our more egoistic, for lack of a better term, animalistic aspects of our of our humanity and i don't want to denigrate animals either who are beautiful and perfect in their own way but when we are driven by our animal impulses as i have been at times in when i was wrestling with addiction mm -hmm. with depression with anxiety um and times in my life when i was just kind of driven by my own ego mm -hmm. my own wants and needs for greater status mm. and to, to be loved even more than I was, um, which are, uh, those are the more animalistic parts of ourselves. So that's what spirituality is. It's our relationship with our soul. It's not in conflict with science. Science and spirituality are two sides of the same coin. They're two ways of looking at reality itself. Science is all about the physical laws and uh, what drives the universe, the forces, the matter, the energy. And and it's also a system of learning and knowing things. And it's also a compendium of knowledge. That's super important. But spirituality also has a compendium of knowledge, which have been the world's great spiritual teachers and leaders for from the Upanishads and the Vedas from 4,000 years ago through the Bhagavad Gita, through the sayings and the Dhammapadas of the Buddha, through the Bible, through the Quran, through the holy writings of Baha'u'llah, the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, and many other faith traditions. That's what I mean by spirituality. Sorry to ramble. No, you're not rambling in the least. And uh, you're my dude. I think I'm falling in love here. So, Oh, my God. We got a bromance. Well, it's a lot of the things you're saying... And I want to go. I want to go back in a second, but I want to just unpack that for a minute. I, uh, especially as I've gotten a lot older, I've spent more time on that, and I have a faith, but I've also done things outside of my faith. Um, like I have done yoga. I, I do work on breathing techniques. Now. I've had to. I've had to create some structures in my life to get present with myself. I'm really good, like right now, with being present with other humans. I've actually. That's pretty. I'm something. I'm good at that. I've not always been really present with me. 
and I've avoided me for a long time. And I too, I haven't struggled with addiction, but I, you're so courageous to talk about the fact that you have. But I have struggled with my mental health from time to time. I have certainly had bouts of depression and anxiety. I still live with anxiety and worry to an extent for someone who's got such a wonderful life like I have, almost to a ridiculous nature. And so I just encourage everybody, you know, these spiritual things have increased my ability. My, I'm in pretty good shape. And one of the reasons is I want to take care of this body because I want my soul to be housed in it as long as I can. And I, uh, I have uh, my wealth and my contribution in the world has increased the more I've been able to get out of my ego, even though I still struggle with it, and into the service of other people like you talk about in Chapter 8, where we're going to go to in a minute. Hey guys, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. You know, in all of my businesses, and I've been blessed to have several of them, I've used Indeed now for a number of years. And the main reason I do it is, I, if you're like me, I don't want to waste a bunch of time interviewing people that aren't qualified for the positions that I have. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world, right? Or they are qualified, but they're not interested in making in the move at the given time. And so with Indeed, you have a thing called Instant Match, where they match you with quality candidates within 24 hours. And you're in front of people that want the job, that are qualified for it, and that you probably want to hire. I wouldn't go anywhere else. They've delivered great candidates to multiple businesses that I have right now. So here's what's great. Listeners and viewers on my show, you get a $75 sponsored job credit right now to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MyLet. Just go to Indeed.com slash MyLet, which is M-Y-L-E-T-T, right now. And you can support our show by saying you heard about Indeed here. That would be great, by the way. Indeed.com slash MyLet. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about Shopify. You know, when I started this show, the furthest thing from my mind was doing online business, and now I can't imagine my life without it. So I love Shopify because they're a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. So whether you're in the startup phase where you're just launching your online store, or you're at that really big business where you're like, hey, we just hit a million bucks in order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. They've helped me through every single stage. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. So whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered big time. They help turn browsers into buyers. They convert their checkouts 36% better than all the leading competitors. And I've used them for everything I do online. So every single thing you see that I market online, Shopify is somehow involved. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash mylet, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash mylet now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash mylet. But since you mentioned it, I want you to go back a little bit because you have had struggles with, you know, you've you said I I was an addict. I I'm a people pleaser, and that's amazing for me to know because you had such a prolific career. I mean, we talk about Dwight, but you've had all these other shows and all these other characters, all these other awards in your life. What were those times like for you? How did you get out? And do you still regress back into them from time to time? Oh, there's a lot of uh, questions and points made in there. Um, I'm not quite sure how to tackle this. The um, <clears throat> So uh, let me just go back to the very beginning and say that when you're a year and a half old and your mom takes off, mm. uh, that'll, that'll f*** up. And that caused in me a great deal of anxiety from the get-go, right? When we, I was raising 
our son, Walter, me and my wife were raising Walter. I witnessed him at a year and a half, two years old, the same time that my mom left and his need for his mom. And just like, he'd be scared and just reach out. And he just, he'd go off on his own, play with some toys, but then he would need that, that, he would need that presence, that mother presence. So that was ripped away from me, right? Mm. And my entire life has been trying to fill the void of that basic abandonment anxiety with other things. And sometimes they work great. Right. You know, when I started drinking, it was a couple of years. It was awesome. It was really took the edge off. It was fun. It was social. It was great. And it worked until it doesn't didn't work anymore. Mm. I've tried drugs. I've tried porn. I've tried overeating. I've tried social media. I've tried fame. I've tried workaholism. I've tried codependence. I've tried a lot of different things to fill that essential human void. And I'm so grateful for that experience. I'm, I was talking to a friend of mine who's an actor and he's like, Rain, you're so lucky you've hit bottom so many times <laughs> that mm -hmm. you, uh, this kind of set you on your kind of spiritual quest. Mm -hmm. So I guess for me, I, I, I look back on those times, those dark times in my twenties, other times in thirties and in my forties, now my fifties, I'm, I'm floating on air. I'm loving my fifties. Hey, listeners, check it out. Rain in his fifties. He's in the flow. He's it's golden. It's the golden age. I'm a golden Eagle spreading my talons and spreading my saliva of evangelical <laughs> spirituality all across the podcast universe. Okay, we, we'll pull um, He went off the rails there for a second, but he's back. He's back. I'm back. I'm back. Sorry. Sorry. I had a flight of, I had a flight of fancy, but it's true. I yeah. love my fifties. It's amazing. Yeah. I wish I was feeling what I'm feeling in my fifties in my thirties. Oh my God. Do you, but I'm so, do, do you think I want to go there? I'm gonna ask you a hard question. I bet no one's asked you this because yeah. I get asked it. Do you think you would have accomplished what you did if you felt this way? So I've wondered this about myself too. So here's what we got. We got two dudes now in their fifties who in your way, you've, you've also, you, you not just hit the bottom. You've also hit the top. Okay. You're humble, yep. but you've hit the top in your career. So, you know, the award shows, all the different things. So you also hit the top. And it's interesting because if you pick apart achievers and you put us all in a room, most of us, you know most of them, I know most of them, most of us have a lot of that stuff you just described a minute ago that Broken. we've leveraged to produce results in our life. And so yeah. this is a toughie, man. How much of this spirituality, you know, loving this time in my life is just the time in our life and and or is there just a healthier way to achieve great stuff you know exactly what i'm saying those things yeah. that you had compelled you to go to the extra call you know go to take the extra meeting you know prep yeah. a little bit more so it's tough I, I struggle with this as well because it's easy once you get to the other side to go yeah you know and so you should be meditating and praying and, and all that other stuff so i'm what's the real answer to that is the answer that you think you could have done it anyway or is the answer that there's like a nuance somewhere in between i i think it's the hardest question to answer when you're on the other side of success like you and i have been blessed to find ourselves had had my mother not taken off i keep i keep coming back forgive me for yeah. getting all therapy but yeah. had she not abandoned me as a toddler mm -hmm. had my dad and and his stepmom not had such a dysfunctional marriage had i not grown up with such tremendous pain trauma and imbalance throughout my life mm -hmm. i never would have 
um, suffered the way I did in my 20s, which drove me to seek to succeed and make a name for myself and make a mark. Uh, if I had a healthy, balanced childhood, I'd probably be an English teacher in suburban Seattle, Washington right now. There's nothing wrong with being an English teacher in Certainly suburban not. Seattle, Washington. Certainly it not. is beautiful. You're educating 30 kids a year or 60 kids a year, teaching them their love of language and reading. It's a beautiful service. I'm not denigrating that at all. But for me, that brokenness, you know, is where the light comes in and drove me to great success. Now, I was miserable through a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And frankly, Ed, I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, on the office mm -hmm. and uh, I've only been talking about this recently. It was some of my most, most miserable years of my life really? were, were the early successes of the office. Really? I mean, it doesn't get better. I was an unemployed actor for for 15 or semi-employed actor broke for 15 years. And then when I'm 38, 39, I get the office, all of a sudden I'm making money. Mm -hmm. I'm working with like geniuses like Steve Carell and John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher and wow. BJ and Mindy. And I'm playing one of the most memorable, incredible characters in American television history, making bank. I'm like getting nominated. I'm getting movies and it wasn't enough. And that is the human condition. And that is the great imbalance that the Buddha wrote about so much when he said life is suffering. Life is kind of being wedded to this chronic dissatisfaction. Yeah. Um, did that chronic dissatisfaction drive me to quote unquote greatness? I mean, if you call playing Dwight greatness, but mm -hmm. you know, I wrote a couple books. I started a couple companies. Yep. Um, I've achieved a lot. I've made some money and it was driven by that chronic dissatisfaction, but I was miserable along the way. Yeah. Is there a way ultimately to, to achieve uh, greatness without having something so like messed up and broken in your circuitry? I think there is, there's gotta be, mm -hmm. but that takes a lot of work, foresight, wisdom, and discipline to get there. I agree. And I think I'd love someone to write a book. Maybe it'll be you and I. But I actually think that for those of you listening to it, because uh, first off, it ought to give you hope if you come from any sort of dysfunction in your family that, hey, most yeah. of us that have achieved a lot, it's maybe the reason we did it. Same use time, it. Yeah, use it. Lean into you it. You nailed it. And I think there's a way in our lives to leverage it and heal at the same time. Because I don't think healing happens in one instant anyway. So mine's been a journey that's still continuing. My dad was an alcoholic, and you know my audience knows the whole story on that for the most part. However, I do think you can simultaneously start working on growing and healing yourself while at the same time leveraging these things that obviously were blessings. Ironically, it's a blessing that your mom left at a year and a half. Ironically, it's a blessing that my dad was a drug addict and an alcoholic. It certainly doesn't feel like it at the time, but now you got two guys talking about their lives in a room and your mom doesn't leave, my dad doesn't party and drink, we're probably not having the conversation. So it's clearly a blessing and it can bless the lives of other people if, if the other chapters in your book end up having some redemptive quality to them, like what you and I are attempting to write in our lives now. My favorite chapter of your book are, is eight. First off, that's my favorite number. My dad would also come home and have eight beef eaters gins, by the way. It's why my, it's my favorite number when he wow. would come home. 
But the reason it's my maybe, favorite, you know, joke. my mom had five husbands, so maybe my mom and your dad hooked up at one point. <laughs> probably, mom. I hope you're not listening to that, but probably, um, pro- hopefully, probably not, mom. Having said that, why chapter eight is because I think that's where a lot of the answers lie, and so in chapter eight in Rain's book, he goes through a really wonderful list of you know, kind of building your own perfect religion, so to speak. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go through a few of these points with you because these are the things that I I think you can do to both heal yourself and leverage this stuff at the same time. Not everything on the list does both of these things, but I've compiled the parts of his list that I think do both. Okay. So first thing you said is uh, be a force for love. I think that's a way to simultaneously be healing yourself and leverage the fact that you know, maybe not everything in your life's been perfect. So can you speak to number seven, which is force of love? Wow, that that's so cool. It's cool. You went right, right in there. That is so awesome. So let me back up a little bit and talk about that. I have several chapters in the book about religion itself, because I think that uh, kind of liberal Western urban democracy has wholeheartedly rejected anything and everything having to do with religion, mm-hmm. mostly for very good reasons. You know, so much of contemporary suffering has been caused by religion and, you know, generational trauma caused by religion. Mm-hmm. I get it. But what we've done, as I say in my book, is we've thrown the spiritual baby out with the religious bathwater. And there is a lot to learn from organized religions, and there's a lot to Uh, praise, and there's a lot to connect with. And a lot of what we're missing in the current mental health epidemic that so many young people are going through can be found in religion itself. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. So, and that is a transcendent community. That is people gathering together with purposes larger than their own ego satisfaction. So much of Western culture is geared around my ego and how do I satisfy it? I want more social status. I want more comfort. I want more material things. More material things gives me more comfort and more social status, right? So we're on this drive. We're on this treadmill to achieve for the wrong reasons. And those things have been proven time and time again by social scientists and psychologists to not bring us happiness and well-being. And yet we pursue them frantically and manically as if they do, because we've bought the lie that has been instilled in us by the Madison Avenue and the mainstream media and social media that we're going to find happiness once we have enough stuff. Now, Moving on to the force of love, I talk about these building blocks of religion. There are universals, and one of the central ones that is in every faith tradition and needs to be in any forthcoming, upcoming faith tradition is a kind of love that's next level. It's uh, radiant hearts the size of basketballs with as deep as possible um, compassion for the other, for those that are different than us, where we are uniting people in bonds of love, where our action is undertaken every day with great love. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good, Dwight. But how the hell do I apply that to my life? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Jesus said it better. Well, he did say it better. He said it better. 
and he lived it better. <laughs> and uh, how do we emulate the deeds of Jesus? How do we not just kind of pledge our our love and devotion to Jesus? How do we emulate Jesus? Well, it takes some training. So you start small and you just flex that love muscle. It's just like working out your epic man bod over there, Ed. <laughs> you start with little small, you know, exercises and you build, but you can do the same thing with these spiritual attributes. I listed them before. They're the little sparks of the divine that we carry in us. Kindness, humility, honesty, creativity, imagination, uh, you know, uh, inspiration and love. And we can get better at love. We can exercise those love muscles. That's what she said. And to even greater degrees, one one day at a time. And I've really undertaken this practice over the last several years. And I, I find myself going into the world being just more loving. Me too. Let me bring this back around and say one last thing. When my father died, I was heartbroken for months and I had a realization. As messed up as he was in so many ways, he was also had this incredible quality where every room he went into, he made a better place. And this really, I'm going to, I'm going to start crying because it, it really, this really affects me deep in my heart. Every room my dad went into, he made better. He uplifted people. He connected them. He was kind to them. He listened to them. He, he would look in their eyes and he would tell a joke and he made every room better. How few people I've known in my life that make every room they go into a better, more healed, more uplifting place. I strive to emulate that. And that's the kind of love muscle that we can grow. Uh, we can spread. We can teach to our children. We can share with our friends and our family. And this is how you start a spiritual movement. It starts with something that small. Man, how good is this freaking conversation? My gosh, right? It's so good. My dad did that too when he got sober. Mm. And um, man, I've worked really hard. It is a muscle. Like I work on my it sounds. Uh, by the way, guys, if you're wondering, well, I want to know about how to make more money. I can tell you, I've made a lot more money the more I've walked in rooms and come in a room trying to spread more love in the room. Even making business deals. I'm just telling you, when someone has this sense that you love them and you care about them. Um, that you have their best interest in mind, it takes barriers down. You imagine if we had political leaders actually do the things that that yeah. Reigns is referencing here. It's what I think Amen. of the whole time I'm reading Amen. it, brother. So, hey, guys, you know when I love technology and a great idea revolutionizes an old industry. And by the way, if there's an industry that needs a revolution, I think you'd agree with me, it's the healthcare industry. It's not easy to find good doctors. And by the way, good doctors that are in your area that also take your insurance. And that's why I love ZocDoc. They are revolutionizing the healthcare industry and the way you get access to doctors. ZocDoc, by the way, is Z-O-C-D-O-C. -O -C. Here's who they are. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Tons of different reviews on the doctors and they're local to you. You can find out if they take your insurance. I just did it for a tear I had in my shoulder. One day later, I'm in the doctor's office getting some help, getting an order for an MRI. So go to ZocDoc.com slash MyLet and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C 
ZocDoc.com slash MyLet. ZocDoc.com slash MyLet. If you've been listening or watching the show for a long time, you know what a big believer in NetSuite I am. I've been talking about them now for years. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors, which is why I've been using them now for five years myself. Over 37,000 other companies have as well. They've made the moves to do the math. Now you'll see profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mylet, netsuite.com slash mylet, M-Y-L-E-T-T, netsuite.com slash mylet. Here's another one that has changed my life and that you list. It's so good, you guys. His wor- I told you when I introduced him, it's so good. But one of them is service to the poor. This is just not talked about anymore. It was like when I was growing up or even in the 60s, this was a, a benchmark of how we treated one another. And service to the poor. See, I, th- I have this saying I say, when you're feeling the most helpless, get helpful. And I mm. think helping all people matters. But I do think, and I, when I say poor, I want you to talk about this. To me, that's financially poor for sure. I think that's the real nature of it. Someone who's just not got the means or the background or the opportunities that you may have had, but also it's sometimes people are spiritually poor. Some of them are emotionally poor. And just being in service to people will t- completely change your life. My life changed, Rain, I should just tell you. My dad came home from his first AA meeting and I was living at his house in the same bedroom I grew up in after college. He's like, look, I got you a job. And I'm like, what is it? And he's like, yeah, I can't believe you're asking me this. You're asking, you're eating out of my fridge. Just get your ass down there tomorrow and whatever it is, take it. Some guy at the meeting got you this job. So I go down there and it was an orphanage called McKinley Home for Boys. And I was an athlete and, and a very ego-driven guy. And instantly I'm thrown in this environment where I'm completely unprepared. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a dad myself. But I've got 10 boys that are 8 to 10 years old that I'm now living with that are like my sons. But what happened to me that transformed me was all of a sudden I was forced into service of the poor. These boys come from poor families. They were poor in every way. Their their parents had molested them or were dead or were incarcerated, and they were from financially poor families. But I was almost forced by circumstance into service. And my life altered because I found every day that I left there, I felt richer by serving someone that was poorer than me. And so in the book, you talk about this and about just like reevaluating this in our culture. But as a human, I think it can transform your life. And it's another way to heal yourself as you're still leveraging the things that have happened in your life that aren't so good. So I'll give it to you on that one. Yeah, I I, I know that a lot of your podcast audience wants uh, success in business mm-hmm. and in entrepreneurship. And I, I value that very much. I, I'm cut from the same cloth. I'm a big believer in in, uh, entrepreneurship. But you you touched on something earlier that I think is very important. Who wants to work with someone with a small life and a high drive and a a, a tiny little life and lots of greed? No one wants to work with someone like that. So the more that 
in our spiritual practice, whether you're a Christian, Buddhist, whether you're spiritual but not religious, which is the largest growing religion in the United States, mm-hmm. we want to turn being uh, self-centered from being other-centered. This works on a lot of different ways. It's it's kind of this reverse psychology. The, in happiness studies, so I've done this show that's out now called Geography of Bliss, that's awesome. where I travel the world looking for happiness. But if you read anything about happiness and positive psychology, you find that being other-centered actually makes you happier. Mm-hmm. So this process of um, service to others and thinking about service to others you can start it for selfish reasons. Start doing it because it will make yourself, it'll make you happier and it'll bring you more fulfillment. And actually other people will be drawn to you like a magnet because you're engaging in this process of service to others. And then before too long, and Ed, you might've found this to be true as well. Like you may start doing it for yourself yeah. and maybe your own glory and to feel better. And then all of a sudden you just fall in love with the doing of it. Mm. So serving the poor. I love that. Uh, and I wish I was kicking myself like, ah, oh, that's really good. I should have said, well, poor doesn't just mean material yeah. poverty. Mm-hmm. It can be poor in spirit mm-hmm. and, uh, poor in humor and yeah. poor in, in, in friendships and connections. Yeah. Uh, but just look at the data, just look at the data around gratitude Jeez. and how that can help you, how service to others can help you, how it makes you, gives you a happier, richer life. Because at the end of the day, there's, and I end the book this way, this is something we talk about on this TV show, The Geography of Bliss, and it comes down to human connection. There was this study done at Harvard called the Grant Study. Maybe you've talked about it on your podcast before. Fascinating study. Many books have been written about it. 300 men being tracked for 80 years uh, about happiness and well-being, and it all boils down to one thing. It's all connection and community. It's just connect, connect, connect. So I think it's the most fascinating study of all time, and I believe it or not, brother, there's something going on here today that's insane because I had him on, I think, three weeks ago. And no so, kidding. Yeah, the guy, the guy, uh, the guy that who leads, took over the, from George Valent, the, yeah. the new, the new guy. Yeah, he's he's great. He's, he's awesome. And, and he, by the way, he's got a joy about him that's mm. wonderful too. All right, I got a couple mm. things for you. Um, it's amazing you just said that. I, I can't get over that. What's transcendence? What is that? So, for me, transcendence is what it's all about. I'll tell you a story. I started acting in high school. It's something I'd always kind of wanted to do and secretly longed to do. And I was in this play in my high school called um, uh, Pygmalion. And it's the play they based My Fair Lady on. And I was playing the father, this Cockney father. It's this English play from the 1890s. And it's funny. It's a really smart play. And I was... In the middle of a performance, we had like four performances. It was like performance number two. And I was doing this big lecture. I'm this poor Cockney guy lecturing these rich people about life. And I gesture over here and they kind of all look over in that direction. And I look down and I see a bowl of chocolates that are on in the set dressing, you know, sitting on a dresser. And in the moment, I pick up the bowl And I dumped the chocolates in my pocket and swiftly put the bowl back down on the table. I had never rehearsed that. I didn't plan that. I didn't pre-think that. Completely in the moment, I reacted in the character. And of course, it brought down the house. Hmm. And 
that's when I had this inhalation of like, oh, oh my God, I get it. That's what acting is. Oh my, I discovered it. It's that moment where, and that's a moment of transcendence where it's not rain. It's not rain's brain. It's not rain's consciousness and his willpower. There was a lot of training that led up to it. There was a lot of work, a lot of rehearsal, a lot of learning of lines and getting into character and trying to see the world through that character. But all of a sudden I had this moment of transcendence that transcended the humdrum, that transcended the the sweatiness and the hunger and the the itchy pubes and the itchy armpit and I need to take a poop and all all of this kind of humanness and it's something sublime and I talk about this a lot I find for me I find it in art a great deal but also uh, one can find it in 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 a church service one can find it in singing one can find it in nature these are the the moments that we uh, strive for as human beings to connect to something larger than ourselves. This is how I feel like we connect through the divine. And this is an impulse. This is an impulse that's been around from from day one with human beings, an impulse to transcend our our, our humdrum daily lives with something more meaningful and cosmic and uplifting. Brother, just wow. My dad's sobriety, the first and foremost foundation of it that changed our family's life is really a form of transcendence, which is they basically mm -hmm. say, you said one day at a time earlier, but you surrender to a power greater than yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's actually how you phrase transcendence in the book, the kind of the subtitle. And most of the things I've done in my life that uh, have affected other human beings were transcendent moments. So like I speak, we're going to get to know each other when you come back to L.A., but I speak and I have the blessing to speak on really big stages, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people sometimes. And people always ask me, what do you do before you go out there? Aren't you nervous? I'm like, yeah, I get nervous. And one of the things I do before I go out there is I actually surrender. Yeah. And I ask, in my case, Holy Spirit to just take over and yep. and allow that power greater than me i've had moments on stage where there are things coming out of me and words coming out of me that aren't even vocabulary that i possess and thoughts yep. i didn't have and things i didn't write down and i thought wow that really works on speaking on big stages why wouldn't i do that when i walk into a business meeting why don't i right before you got here today i went in and used the restroom and i just said a real quick prayer I just said, hey, please use me. Please let spirit take over because I know my limitations. And that that also causes me to have some form of humility as I've gone on this journey in my life, knowing that I don't have all it takes on my own. I've got to rely on something greater than me. And it's I pray every night, as people probably know, but like I was raised Catholic. I pray on my knees every night. And one of the reasons I do that is that's kind of like a form of surrender. It makes me feel yeah. small and that I'm not this big thing. It also makes my life much more manageable because I'm not riding through this thing alone all the time. I'm so grateful that we're like talking about such deep stuff. It's ironic that it's with someone who's made me laugh so hard in my life, <laughs> but I'm super, super grateful for that. Now, a lot of people are going to say they're listening to us and you talk about this. They say, well, yeah, it's great. Whatever you believe God is, whatever your belief in God is, if there was really one, why do so many bad things happen? Why mm -hmm. do bad things happen to good people? Uh, why do good people get cancer young? Why do we lose children? Why do we hurt one another so deeply? Why would a loving God allow these things to take place? And by the way, I wonder that stuff sometimes. I'm just curious as to what your answer to that is. 
So you're going to ask me one of the great, deepest philosophical questions in human history. And what do I got? Like four and a half minutes you to answer it? Whatever you want to take, you can take. <laughs> take it all you need. I love it. I love it. Well, I have a section in the book. Yes. I have a chapter on God called The Notorious G-O-D. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a section on suffering. And it's a very important question. And it's an important question on a number of different levels. Let me Before I dig in with a couple of ways of approaching suffering. I just want to say that the Buddha addressed it directly. And he said, my my goal is, is one thing and one thing only. Uh, it's the study of suffering and how to end suffering. Mm -hmm. And part of the Four Noble Truths, no, truth number one is that life is suffering. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of answers to relieving suffering in in the study of Buddhism, mm -hmm. which I have, which has helped me tremendously. We are not, as a culture, talking about suffering enough. What is the purpose of suffering? Because as evidenced by the fact that the number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. Mm. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? And that leads us to death. You talk about death, you talk about suffering, and that builds resilience. And you understand that suffering is a part of life. It's not something to be avoided at, at all costs. Parents have to raise their children to understand that suffering is a very real part of their life and is gonna be with them hand in hand until the grave. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's an important thing. Now, putting that aside, huge. if we are souls having a human experience and we're continuing on our journey. Some people would say to heaven, some people would say nirvana, the happy hunting grounds, whatever it is, we're continuing our journey without our meat suits. Then what is our purpose on earth? Well, our purpose is to grow those spiritual qualities that I've been talking about. We're in, we're inhabiting fleshy soul growing machines, Ed. And, uh, one of the ways, one of the principal ways that we grow our souls is through suffering. Mm -hmm. So there is a divine purpose to suffering. The Bible talks about this. The Bhagavad Gita talks about it. Um, the Buddha talks about it. Baha'u'llah from the Baha'i faith talks about it. And this is the importance of suffering. Mm -hmm. That's one, number one. Number two, think of all of the suffering that we could end and reduce if we weren't fighting each other and building instruments of war constantly. Mm -hmm. So... This is, I go to Star Trek, okay? You said we we're going to talk about Star Trek. I'll bring in Star Trek a little bit. Yes, Star Trek to me is a very spiritual uh, vision of humanity because humanity has solved all its problems on, and on planet Earth. Income inequality is gone thanks to technology. Racism has been solved. Diversity is embraced and loved in the future. That's true. Equality of women and men has has happened. There's a harmony with the natural world and with science in in Star Trek. If we stopped building, you know, missiles and weapons and tanks and drones and and guns and and bullets, uh, and put our focus towards healing cancer healing heart disease, reducing pain and suffering, increasing our healthcare system, we would get rid of a huge portion of that suffering. Now, is there still going to be a storm where a building collapses? Is there still going to be a tidal wave and people are going to die? Are innocent children going to be born with diseases? Yes, they are. And But that is part of this human experience. And what I do in the book is I inverse it and be like, well, are what people are asking for is a life without suffering? Mm -hmm. 
Because what would that be like? First of all, it defies science. The idea that we are born effortlessly. We don't cry when we're babies because the mother's vagina opens up to the size of a football to let us effortlessly out into the world. We never stub our toe. We never skin our knee. No one ever gets sick. Everyone dies at the age 100 peaceably in their sleep. Like that's absurd. So we... We see that there is there is a great mystery and a great purpose to suffering. Wow, brother, that's uh, I'm going to play that part back for me because I've had a rough couple days. Two okay. things I've done is surrender, mm-hmm. and the second thing now after you've said that is in retrospect in 52 years of my life, almost all of the great growth of my life came through some form of suffering, sometimes crisis. You know, stuff like that. And so it kind of is a gift. It just doesn't feel like one in the moment. And Mm. I needed to hear that for myself right now. So thank you. They're telling me I only get to ask you one more question because we're bumped up on time here. And so I'm going to, first off, I want everybody to go get Soul Boom. It's right here. I'm holding it if you're watching the YouTube. Go get it. Why we need a spiritual revolution. I think we've touched on a lot of reasons today why and some solutions in your own life of how you can create a life revolution through the principles in the book. You got Rain Wilson and the Geography of Bliss, the TV show, and Metaphysical Milkshake, by the way, is the pod. So I love that. I want to step out of this just for a second, but it'll tie it all together. Was it worth it? You've We talked about the top. So was it worth it? All the sacrifice, all the suffering, everything you had to go through, the 15 years of being relatively not very well-known, and then all the stuff that's good but also not good that comes with the success. So take everybody into success for a second. You can do it from a spiritual perspective, though, if you want to. But I get asked this often, like, is this really worth it? Like, all this price paying, you know, all the rejection. And I have my answer as to why. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you a little bit right after you answer. But if someone asks you that, hey, man, it's like climbing to the top, by the way, becoming the best English teacher in the country, if that's what you chose to give you a reference earlier, or, you know, become Emmy nominated or, you know, become a well-known person. Is it worth the pursuit of that stuff? And if so, why was it worth it? That's an interesting perspective. I don't quite know how to answer that. Um, you know, when I look back on on it and say, you know, was it worth it? Was the hard work worth it? Was the the suffering worth it? And the the difficulties along the way and the difficulties once I arrived worth it? Yeah, mm. absolutely it was. Mm. Um, I am, uh, man, I am so hashtag blessed. I mean, I really, mm. it's incredible. I mean, dude, dude, mm. so many actors just as talented as me have never gotten on a TV show. Mm. And then so many have gotten on a TV show that didn't go anywhere. And then so many have gotten on a TV show that went somewhere, but no one really watched. And then so many have gotten on a TV show that people watched, but then once it was done, it faded from into obscurity. Mm. I got to do this TV show that lasted, had success, people watched, it ended, and people still watch and refer to. Uh, I'm really, really lucky. I know that's not exactly what you're asking, but um, it it has been worth it for me because, uh, again, from a spiritual perspective, I'm growing my soul. Um, am I happier now, wiser now, more filled with well-being, more filled with purpose? more filled with connection now than I was five years ago? Yes. More than 10 years ago? Absolutely. More than 15 or 20 years ago? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Mm. You know what um, I see in you? Can I tell you what I see in you as a, a friend a friend for an hour now? Yes. That, and I found this in myself. The pursuit of success is a real self-awareness journey over yes. time. You know, how do I improve? How do I grow? How do people look yes. at me? How do I do it? And then somewhere in there, for almost everybody, it morphs into a self-awareness journey, but it actually becomes a spiritual journey because you reach yes. these conclusions of, I probably couldn't have gotten here on my own. And is this all there is? And it yeah. and, and all my faith, my spirituality is almost a, my success I've had has become almost a confirmation that there's got to be a higher power because I'm not that great. But at the same time, had I not had all these failures and these ups and downs in my life, I wouldn't have ever looked at myself. I would have never looked at my life. Like it was a great mirror. The pursuit of growth, the pursuit of success is like life's great mirror. And it's like this laboratory of who am I? Where do I come from? What does this mean? What impact is it making? What impact do I want it to make? Let me me jump in here because I got to say something because what you're saying is, is key. For some reason, I don't know why, for some reason, I have always had a deep driven desire to better myself and to get to know myself more and to dig into life's biggest possible questions. I've had an insatiable curiosity and a need to to grow and understand myself. And I've been in therapy for 20 years. It's been amazing for me. I'm not necessarily recommending that for everyone out there, but Jesus, to spend one hour a week out of out of the how many hundreds of hours there are in a week to spend one hour, it's actually 50 minutes, to spend one hour just kind of talking about my patterns, my habits, looking at my traumas, trying to make commitments to better my life, to, to unearth stuff like, this process, the therapeutic process, my recovery process and 12 steps, my reading of mystical pathways, my journey as a member of the Baha'i faith, yeah. and especially in raising and being a part of my my precious, precious family. Like, I, I, I think that's where you start. Like any listener right now, like you want success, start with a deep curiosity, get to know yourself better and better, work harder, read more, study ponder, meditate, pray, converse with like-minded others, serve side by side, but but deeply, richly, curiously engage with the stuff of being a human being. Man, I want to say something to you. Thank you for doing all that in your life because God's using you, man, in really powerful ways. You have impacted me in my life through your work. The book did, uh, but I got to tell you, today's conversation's taken it to a completely different level. And I have a very deep sense that there'll be another one here on the show and probably personally. Too. We're going to, we're going to continue this, this unlikely bromance. It is, man. It we're going to hit some sush back in LA. <laughs> and this is only part one of our conversation. Let's get, let's get a, a continuation of this conversation uh, in the near future for real. Right. I, I want to do that as well. I just want to say uh, on behalf of millions of people, thank you, man. This was profound. And everybody listen, go get Rain's book, Soul Boom. And if you enjoyed today, share the show. That's all I ask for you. It's the fastest growing show on the planet because you share it. And you share it because of stuff oh. like this happened here today, man. This Congratulations was... on all your success. It's well-deserved, man. Yeah. I can I can see why your fans 
line up. You you have so much to offer. And it's been just an honor and a pleasure to be here. I'm sorry our conversation has been cut a little bit short. No, man, I love it. And uh, I'm very grateful for today. And it's just one that's going to continue. All right, everybody, God bless you. Max out your life. This is The Ed Milet Show.